0: I'm Jody Nisnik, and you're listening to so much more. In John sixteen twelve, Jesus stated, "There is so much more I want to tell you." He then pointed to the Spirit as the one who would come, who would further His teaching by bringing. His word to life for us. So much more creates space for God to reveal his truth through his word. Well, today I'm excited to have Rochella Parham with me. Rochella is a speaker and the author of Mythical Me, Finding Freedom from Constant Comparison. She also co-hosts a podcast called Friends in Formation, and she serves as a member of the ministry team at Renovari and is chair of their board of directors. Uh, her heart is to help people dismantle their preconceived myths about identity and worth. And this then helps clear a path for people to surrender to our compassionate God. And so I am really excited to have you with me today, Rochella. Thank you for being on the
1: podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here and I can't tell you how much I appreciate the invitation.
0: Well, thank you so much. So, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about who you are. And also, can you introduce us to the
1: ministry of Renovari and tell us a little bit about that? Oh, I'd love to. And um, you've already touched on some highlights about what I do. I'll tell you a little bit more about who I am. I am the wife of a long-suffering man. (laughs) I've been married for almost 37 years to my college sweetheart. Um, And we have three young adult sons, and I have one daughter-in-law, and I even now have a grandson, which is a really big deal. Funnily, uh, one one of my favorite interactions over the past year has been talking with someone who is a grandparent who told me that being a grandparent is the one thing in life that lives up to the hype. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say that is true. So oh, it, nice. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I look at myself and think, am I really old enough to be a grandmother? And I'm not no, sure. You're absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can I, still enjoy it. <laughs> uh, I absolutely love it. But, um, I live in Durham, North Carolina with my husband, and we've been here for about 20 years, very active in the small church here. And the really, the uh, bulk of my time these days is, is taken up with my work with Renovari. Renovari is um, a ministry that is dedicated to the work of Christian spiritual formation, transformation into Christlikeness. We were founded in 1988 by Richard Foster, Um, who wrote Celebration of Discipline, he and his dear friend Dallas Willard and a few others decided to begin this ministry. And throughout our history, our our aim has been to to encourage others in their journey of becoming more like Christ. And we do this by by resourcing the work. So we produce a lot of materials, written materials, um, events, conferences, webinars, podcasts, that kind of thing. So we resource it. um, We advocate for it. When we first started this work, spiritual formation was um, a a new term. (laughs) People hadn't, didn't know what to think about it. Now, of course, you know, it's, it's, it's a term that gets used a lot and we're glad for that. Well, we also try to model the life. We, um, those of us who are involved on the ministry team and on the staff and on the board of directors really try to model life together because we mm. we we've, we've come to learn that we get well in community god created us for life together and so we we really try to model what that transformation into christ likeness can look like in a, a small group or in pairs of friends or whatever and mm. you know we've had some members of our team who've now graduated as we say, we've gone on to glory. People like Dallas Willard and Bill Voswick and Roger Fredrickson. And it's been a real privilege to get to see people walk out that journey with Jesus all the way to the end of what, what we do on this earth. Um, and it's a it's just a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun together. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, it's beautiful. And even what you're saying, I think transitions really nicely into the passage that we're in Mm. because there's definitely some community and living some things out in community that happen in this passage. So why don't we, why don't we dive into that? Um, I want to give us all a quick reminder. So we did this as an imaginative prayer experience. It's John chapter 21. This is really a very well-known passage and it's the famous restoration of Peter, um, up to this point. So to bring you along in the story, Jesus has resurrected and Peter and some of his disciple and some of the other disciples are out on a boat and they're fishing and they recognize that it's Jesus out on the beach and he's made breakfast. So that's where we pick up the passage. Let me read it for us. It's John chapter 21, verses 15 through 22. And I did take just a few words out of verse 20, just because they didn't assist us in this passage, um, but just so you know that. So this is the reading. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Okay. So, One of the reasons why I wanted us to do this as an imaginative prayer experience is because it helps us really slow down and enter into a passage that is sometimes very familiar and maybe notice some things that we didn't notice before or experience some things in the word uh, that we hadn't quite experienced before. And so um, Rochelle, when you did that and you you know, kind of let this take shape in your mind, tell us about that. First time of entering in to the scene, what did you notice? And yeah, just
1: tell us about that first
0: experience.
1: Thanks so much for for bringing me back to this passage. I I, I love the Book of John. I love this story, um, but when I read it this time and prayed through it, the first thing that popped into my mind was the way the passage begins when they were finished. Eating. And I found myself unable to escape the fact that Jesus had made them breakfast. Yeah. You know, this was not the first time Jesus appeared to several of these disciples since he had um, resurrected. And we know that Peter was in the boat, and John and uh, Thomas, whom we often call Doubting Thomas, was there. And James and John, the sons of thunder. There were a bunch of them in the boat. Peter had stripped down to fish. I mean, he was all in on the fishing. And then they spotted this guy on the shore who had, you know, we don't know exactly what happened, but my idea is that Jesus had built a fire and made them some fish for breakfast. And I just was smitten Mm. by the idea That before Jesus talks to Peter about this very important issue, he knows that Peter needs this conversation, but he didn't start it until after they were finished eating. And just that loving care of Jesus for their physical needs, as well as their emotional and mental and spiritual needs was so touching.
0: It to me. Yeah. yeah. I love, thank you for bringing that up and helping us notice that because you're right. It is such a tender and compassionate moment of Jesus meeting very real needs for them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't just, you know, barrel in, Hey Peter, we got to talk. He sits right. down and meets a physical need first and perhaps they talked about some other things just to let some of the steam off. I mean, I don't know, but we don't know, you know, but we don't get those details. We, we only get these. And yeah, mm-hmm. it is just such a beautiful moment that he does this very tender and compassionate thing for Peter and the
1: others. It's important to me because the, if I could just say the God of my old imagination, the way I had pictured God to be in my mind, especially when I was growing up. And I, let me just say I had some bad ideas about God. Yeah, <laughs> I had to I had to learn about the goodness and the kindness and the, the loving care of God. You know, God is like Jesus. Jesus is our best picture of what God is like. And it's important to me that the God I imagined is one who would have barreled in who wouldn't have cared, who wouldn't have tended so lovingly to his followers' Mm -hmm. needs, he would have said, jump. And they would have asked how high on the way up. (laughs) And that's not the way God
0: is. No, that is not who our God is. That is such a great reminder. Um, I also had to break down a lot of Ill conceived ideas about God and about Him being very, very condemning of me and my behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, a passage like this is such a great reminder that even though they need to have kind of a hard conversation, they do, it's going to be couched in such love and care. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we keep going into the passage, and I've invited you. Now to take another step in and really imagine at this point that you are Peter, you're kind of in his shoes, so to speak, and experiencing this from that seat.
1: So tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, there are a couple of things there. First of all, is I can imagine that Peter is so happy to see Jesus, but Peter is dealing with some real shame and the way Jesus structures this conversation. Of course we know that Peter has denied Jesus three times, just as Jesus had said he would. And it is, I think not at all an accident that John records this conversation that, that, that Jesus asked the question three times. (laughs) So, But setting aside the three times, if we can just enter into the question, Peter, do you love me more than these? Of course, now, Peter is the one who had said, oh, I love you more. Oh, I, you know, I would never do that. Right. He was so certain of his more than. That's right. And now Jesus is saying, so do you love me more than? and we're not quite certain what the more than refers to but whatever it is peter knows what's going through his mind and jesus knows what peter needs and it's to go back and address that old attitude of peter's oh i love you more than more than more than you can count on me and then the shame of him. Jesus is not having been able mm. to count on Peter. And I, I'm just struck by the, the way Jesus so kindly takes Peter back there, gets in a few words to the heart of the matter, but leads him. Okay if you love me more than these. And of course, Peter says, you know, I love you. You know, I love you. You know, everything, you know, I love you. But every time it's met with a not, okay, now prove it. Okay, now you screwed up. What are you going to do to make it better? It's just be my sheep.
0: Really, it's what it always was. That's right. That's right. He goes back to the very beginning and points him back to the original mission. This is what you've always been called to do. And you didn't destroy that calling by your foolish behavior.
1: Praise God. Yes. I mean, this is where I can so identify because I mess up so often and need to be pulled back. But again, just as I imagined God as being very condemning, I am very condemning of myself. So it's always like, okay, now I don't get to do it, do I? Now my calling is screwed up. Oh, I've messed it up. Oh, this is forever. Mm. Oh, I surely have been out of the blessing now. There can't be grace for this. That's the way I treat myself. Mm -hmm. And again, that is not the way God works. Mm. So
0: beautiful. I love the way that you have painted that picture for us and reminded us even just where he's come from. So I would love to know as you keep and and maybe you've already kind of started touching on that because it did get personal for you because mm-hmm. as <laughs>
1: <laughs> real fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, where did you go with the Lord as you kept having that conversation with him, especially in this first part because we did stop. And we had two conversations with the Lord, which was really important to me because there's two things that happen in this passage. Mm -hmm. And the first one is that restoration piece of the back and forth. Do you love me? You know, Mm -hmm. I do. Do you love me? And the three times and all of that. So tell me about that conversation with the Lord
1: and then we'll move to that second part. Yeah. So the first conversation really came down to, I think, a, a single sentence. It's a word that gets used a lot in a negative way. And the word is presumptuousness. And what God said to me is, you can approach me presuming I can be presumptuous with God. (laughs) And, And, you know, that's not something we would ever want to do. Be presumptuous with God. No, but God said, you can presume that in any situation you're going to be met with grace and love Mm. so Mm. just come into the conversation knowing that there's plenty of grace and love whatever it is presume that's how I'm going to meet you so it was not What I expected that, again, that word presumptuous, you know, do we want to presume upon God? Of course not. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, (laughs) you know. so But I feel like God was inviting me to let down my guard a little bit and to know that I can be completely honest because, you know, as he tells us in Hebrews, approach the throne of grace with confidence.
0: Yeah that's so good i you know it's again it's we presume things on god just going back to the beginning of our conversation mm-hmm. we assume he's shaming us disappointed and and i love that just shatters all of those assumptions mm-hmm. presume that there's grace and love here for you yeah presume that you can come to me no matter what you have done and i will receive you yes I will receive you with grace and love. Oh, that is so powerful and beautiful and convicting because I think we don't make that presumption of him all the time Mm
1: -hmm. still. Mm -hmm. No,
0: (laughs) it it feels too good to be true. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the second part of this passage goes on and they kind of move on from, this back and forth. And then Peter looks over and well, Jesus has just told him "Look, it's going to be a hard road and there's going to come a point in time where something really hard is going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. And so he gives him this kind of these words he doesn't really tell him exactly what's going to happen, but, but Peter knows. Um, and that's when he looks over mm-hmm. at John Uh, the disciple whom Jesus Mm -hmm. loved. And so Mm -hmm. tell me about that
1: part of the conversation with him. Yeah, that, that part is really interesting to me. Um, Just in terms of the message that I, that I got from talking with God about that, I would sum that up by saying that God said, you are all over the place here. Now come back down and pay attention to what I have for you. Just, just let, let, let's, let's not get lost here. Let's come back to what I have to say to you. And I, I found myself thinking all over the place. What, what, what does, you know, what does God mean by that? So, but when I went back and thought again about Peter and what was going on here, I thought Peter is still so preoccupied with his own shame preoccupied with what is happening here, preoccupied probably with the fishing trip he just got out of, preoccupied with what Jesus is saying to him, preoccupied with what might happen to him later on, and then wondering what might happen to John, whom he can see. And I feel like Jesus is just pulling him down and saying, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot is happening in this world. A lot's going to happen, and a lot of it is on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. Mm -hmm. You need to know that I am here. I am for you. I love you, and we'll take this step by step. So Peter, you know, God bless him. They say curiosity killed the cat. That's the kind of the way I, one of the ways I identify with Peter is that he is just, he is all up in everybody's business. Peter always has an idea. Well, why don't we just do this? You know, <laughs> and Jesus is pulling him down and saying, it, it, it doesn't matter. And in particular, it's interesting that little bit about John that, that, that Peter says, well, what about him? It doesn't matter to you, Peter what matters is what you and i are going to be doing together and i feel like jesus is saying it will, things will be made clear as they need to be made clear but you don't need to worry about what i'm doing with john what difference does that make to you that's right yeah and it's the truth is it made a lot of difference to peter he wouldn't have asked Jesus about it if he didn't care. Right. Right. And it, it must have been, I'm guessing a pretty big part of their conversation there for John to have written it down. Mm. It really mattered to Peter. And Jesus was saying, you can let go of that. It doesn't actually matter to you. Let Mm. me handle John. And it's important to me because i have every reason to believe that Peter loved John. You know, the, these guys had become really close friends over the years. But as always happens in groups, you know, there's little bits of competition. There's, you know, well, what about him? What about him? Who's going to be first? Who gets to sit next to you? All of those kinds of things arise in relationships. And for Jesus to reassure Peter that actually you don't need to know about that. I feel like is one of the ways that Jesus is saying, "I will take care of that. You can be free from worrying about that, and we'll just work this out step by step. It's just such a kindness, I think. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I tend to get preoccupied with what's again, with it, this being personal. Yeah. I, you know I get preoccupied with what's going on with somebody else. They're doing it better. I, I wish I could be more like that. Why can't I be more like that? And Jesus is inviting me not to worry about that.
0: No. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's just such the way that we are. I have this little this picture as you've been talking in my head of, you know, the the loving father that reaches down and and cups the child's face in his hands yeah. and just turns him away from all the distractions and looks in his eyes, it's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because we do get distracted by all the things. I love how you painted that picture of Peter and all the things that he could be distracted about because we could make that huge list for ourselves. Oh, you bet. (laughs) It all happens at exactly the same time. We're thinking about all of these things Mm -hmm. because that's the way our amazing brains work. Um, And yet when we start comparing ourselves to somebody else, it actually doesn't really do us any favors in our journey with Jesus. That's right. Um, It can actually just become a really negative thing, which I would love to just talk about the book that you've written because it's all about that. Um, Tell me a little bit about Mythical Me and this journey that you went on that led you to write this beautiful book that helps us turn away from comparison and back to
1: God. I'll tell you about the title, Mythical Me. It arose from actually originally from a conversation I'd had with my with my husband. And in one conversation, I compared myself to three friends. <laughs> so it wasn't enough that I could say I wish I were more like A, B, or C. In one conversation, I bemoaned the fact that I was not more like all three of them. <laughs> and my husband stopped me and and pointed out to me that this was a pattern mm. that he had He's he's good at spotting patterns. But at this point, we'd been married about 15 years. And he said, you do this all the time. I didn't know that I did it. I mean, it was completely an unconscious thing at that point. And he said, no, you're always comparing yourself to other people. But you have a particular habit of comparing something about you to a strength for someone else. So I would choose whatever was the most outstanding attribute of another person. And I would compare myself to that attribute. Mm -hmm. So what had happened as he pointed out was that I had kind of built for myself, this mythical, (laughs) he's the one who came up with that word, mythical composite woman. He said, you've created this person who's actually just made out of the best attributes of every person. And that's who you think you're supposed to be. And he said, I'm telling you, she does not exist. There is no mythical composite. We're, we're all made up of strengths and weaknesses, right? I couldn't accept that. Whenever I identified a weakness within myself, I would see, I always had, you know, I knew lots of wonderful people and I saw them as my models, mm-hmm. but I wanted to be the best of everybody. I, I, I mm-hmm. and not only did I want it, I thought I was supposed to. So whenever I had a um, a weakness, I saw it as a failing. Like I should be. I there was a lot of should in my vocabulary, and that the way I dealt with that, that insecurity really is what it boils down to. I dealt with it by looking for the strengths of other people. I dealt with it by constant comparison, and I myself that, it, that it, I was doing it just because I was trying to get better yep so I justified this comparison thinking well this is what this is what fuels me and and now to be honest, sometimes it does for sure. instance, if you look at how an athlete prepares, you know it, it a lot of that's not all comparison is bad by any means yeah. but the sort of interpersonal comparison that I was doing was bad because inevitably I would either look at myself, look at someone else, and I would feel inferior to that person. Or I would look at myself, look at someone else, and I would feel superior to them on one thing or the other. But it was never the same. It was always better than or less than. So I was constantly dealing with either feeling depressed, deficient, right. or kind of arrogant. Yeah, <laughs> Neither one of those is good. You know, I, it can lead to feelings of real jealousy and envy on one hand. Yeah, that isn't good. Or to to, to arrogance and, and meanness on the other hand. Yeah, that isn't good. Those are really bad outcomes. And so that constant comparison business was terrible for me. It was all in the pursuit, I thought, of trying to get better myself. Mm-hmm. But what it was actually doing was sort of tearing me apart from the inside out and ruining my relationships.
0: Uh, one of the things I love about your book is you tell very personal stories. Yeah. I, also, you're quite funny. So that's helpful.
1: Oh, <laughs> I oh glad to know that.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, there, there were a couple of times I laughed out loud. Um, but I, the other thing that I love is that you just didn't give. Trite advice. Um, in fact, you outline what the trite advice has been that many of us who struggle with this yeah. are given. And
1: yeah.
0: it's all well and good. And some of it's even true. But yet, mm-hmm. enacting that and holding on to that comes from a very different place. And that's where you go in the book is really pointing people to God and reestablishing and deepening your understanding of who God is and your understanding of your relationship with God and what he's done for you and how he's called and created and all of those things, that's where the freedom comes.
1: Yeah. So the tried advice just didn't work for Mm-mm. me. And and I I read, it. boy, if somebody wrote about this, I read it. Or if there was a talk, I would listen to it. I mean, I after my husband turned me on to the fact that this was a problem, I'm like, okay, well, I need to, some yeah. help on this. And none of that advice ever worked. Mm. So, uh, Okay, I need something that will actually help. And that did not come, didn't come easy. I mean, it it took a lot of years of looking for for answers Mm. because what, what happened once I became aware of the problem, I realized that I just wasn't looking at anything correctly. And and this took years and it took some therapy. I had um, marital therapy and individual therapy and lots of prayer and good friends counseling me. And I finally realized I wasn't seeing anything correctly. Mm. I was seeing everything through these very distorted lenses. So I was looking at myself wrongly. I was looking at God wrongly, I was I was projecting some of those insecurities about myself onto God. Mm. I was looking at other people the wrong way. it was amazing once I started unraveling it, how many things I realized I just had the wrong ideas about. Mm. So it was like peeling back the layers of an onion until I finally got down to the root of this is actually what it starts with is having a really distorted picture of God. And then all the things that led out from that Mm. took a lot, a lot of work. But then I feel like I I discovered some actual truth that, you know, I could write a chapter about and maybe help other people learn that truth that took me many years to get to. Yeah.
0: Well, and I, I think you absolutely have done that. I'd love to ask you. What, you know, because I know that it it creeps in as it always does, because the enemy knows Mm. that he can tempt us with these things and whisper thoughts (laughs) into our ears. Mm. And so when you start to notice that that comparison starts to creep back in, what's a truth or um, a character trait of God that you
1: just immediately go to and cling to that helps you kind of pull out of that? That God is community. Mm. The thing that's made the biggest difference for me is the realization that God in his very being is a relationship of three persons is mind blowing. Yeah, we don't understand it. Nobody actually understands it. It's way over our heads. But God, as God has revealed God's self to us in the Bible and through interactions of people with him, God reveals himself as God, the father. The eternal son who became human, took on flesh, Mm
0: -hmm. Jesus
1: Christ, and God, the Holy Spirit. And that relationship is eternal. There has never been a time when there was not father, son, and Holy Spirit existing together, loving, being a beautiful community, and then the Trinity. The trying God decided to open up that relationship to those in whom they have placed their image. Mm. The eternal relationship is opened to us. So when I start comparing and all of those old bad habits, I stop myself by remembering that this is all about relationship. And God is the model for relationship. God created us for relationship. God is a relationship. And I can set aside anything that isn't good for relationship. So that, that's, that's what I mm. go back to is that you've forgotten, Ursella, that relationship, that community is what it's all about. Stop. Mm. God exists in an eternal relationship of compassion and confidence and care. And that's what I'm invited into. Mm, I'm part of that. Reminder. You're part yeah, of that. That's yeah. right. Such yeah. a good reminder the
0: the spirit of God dwells in us. We are image bearers of the living triune God, and that does shake loose some of that comparison that we can pull ourselves into. Thank you for that reminder.
1: I don't hear particular words very often, but one time when I did, I was, you know, I was bemoaning how I didn't measure up to someone. And God said to me, "Rachella, the fact that you don't have her attribute does not indicate a deficiency in you, it demonstrates the beauty of my design. I was stunned by that. It had never occurred to me that God created me to fill a particular place. And I wasn't responsible for filling all the other places. Oh, so good. That's, it's the beauty. It's, I mean, this is the way he created us to be. Is right. so, so each of us has yeah. a, an
0: important place yep, and an important part of the body and all of us yes. different parts, but we yes. have to
1: function together. And yes, so. that's right. But I had always thought that the fact that I didn't have someone else's attribute right. meant I was deficient. Mm. No, I made you to be one part, Yeah, but I'm especially grateful because that releases me to be happy for you. For the good thing about you. Right. I don't have to grasp it for myself. That's right. I can let you have your gift. Yeah. And be so grateful for the goodness of that gift to the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't have to have every gift. Yes. Isn't that a relief? It is. Thank God. (laughs) 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 Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, gosh, Rochella, I have just loved this conversation. I feel like there's a lot more that we could talk about. I really want to encourage you guys to read, um, the book mythical me, it was, it's really, it was so helpful for me. I read it over the weekend and yeah, I just, I can't recommend it enough. So I do hope you'll grab a copy and thank you so much for just making space to be with us today, Rochelle. It was oh, really fun a pleasure. to have this conversation. Well,
1: it was, it was very timely for me. So I really appreciate it. Well, God seems
0: to do that all the uh-huh. time when we are in uh-huh. his living and active word and I that's just right. Makes my heart skip a beat sometimes. So yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, I also just want to thank you all for joining Rochella and I today on so much more because we really do believe Jesus has so much more to say to us. And this is just one way we're creating space to listen.